Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Your peace that even calms the storm. We ask for that peace this morning. We ask for you to touch each of our minds, each of our hearts. Help us to feel your presence today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If I were to ask you a simple question this morning, you can be seated. If I were to ask you a simple question this morning, do you feel safe? Do you feel safe? With what's going on in this world, do you feel safe? You know, I got a bunch of emails this week that government buildings are asking for extra security. Pandemic continues to skyrocket. The peak is probably just around the corner. Racial unrest, political unrest. Do you feel safe? Tough question. Sometimes we don't. But today I want to start a new sermon series that focuses on the one person that can help our safety. One person. Jesus. See, Jesus' life, though, if you think about it, it was not a life destined for greatness. He was born in a small, obscure little village, the child of a peasant woman. Didn't go to high school, didn't go to college. In fact, he never traveled more than 200 miles from where he was born. Never wrote a book, never held an elected office. And at only age 33, the tide of public opinion so turned against him that the prompting, even his closest friends abandoned him. He's turned over to his enemies, nailed to a wooden cross between two criminals. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he owned in the entire world. And after he died, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of an acquaintance. Jesus' life was never destined for greatness. But yet today, he is arguably the most important, the central figure in all of the world. I did some research this week. It's called Google. Back in the day, it was called Encyclopedia Britannica. Now it's called Google. I Googled the most influential people in the world. Donald Trump. If you Google Donald Trump, he gets 786 million hits. If you Google President-elect Joseph Biden, 447 million I thought, let's think of some other people. So I Googled Lady Gaga. 194 million hits. The most popular of all, Matt Stockdale. 741,000 hits. I was a little impressed by that. I'll tell you, I wasn't expecting it. Now, most of them aren't me. There are some other Matt Stockdales out there. But 741,000, that's not that bad. But if you Google Jesus, not Christianity, just 
the name of Jesus. You get over 1.1 billion, with a B, hits. The most important, the central figure in all of the world. He's appeared on Time magazine more than any other central figure. He's, his life even dictates our concept of time. 2021 A.D., Latin for Anadomini, the year of the Lord, and before that was B.C., before Christ. But do we know who Jesus is? I mean, really? Do we really know who he is? If I'm honest, I, I don't think we do. From his birth to his temptation, from his me message to his mission, his miracles to his death, we don't know as much about him as we think we do. See, what we do know is often colored by tradition and custom, by conventional wisdom and political correctness. For example, every picture I ever see of Jesus is of a, a white man with sandy brown hair. Jesus was not a white man. Nothing in the Bible describes what Jesus looked like but we do know he was a Mediterranean Jew. Which means his skin would be, have a much more dark olive complexion that, that people of that day and region have. And he didn't speak English, not even the King James English. His native tongue would have been Aramaic. He probably learned some Hebrew and Greek, but his native tongue was Aramaic. And being a Mediterranean Jew, it's, it's likely that he wasn't all that tall. Probably well under five, six, six feet tall. And according to ancient prophecy surrounding his coming, he wasn't all that good looking either. See, in the book of Isaiah, we see this. It says, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Kind of sounds like Jesus wasn't all that good looking. But yet every picture I see is a really good looking guy. So the idea that Jesus was tall, dark, and handsome is only right on one of those. He was dark. He wasn't very tall, and he wasn't handsome. Makes some of us feel a little bit better about ourselves then maybe we might have a chance as well. See, but we, what we do know about Jesus, what we do know is there are four biographies about his life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four Gospels. But in this series, I'm going to only focus on one of those. I'm going to look at, we're going to look at for the next 12 weeks, the Gospel of John. So the question is, who is John? See, John was one of those initial 12 disciples of Jesus, and therefore he was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. And John had a brother named James who was also a disciple. They had been early followers of John the Baptist. And by trade, they were fishermen. And they were actually out in their boat tending to their nets when Jesus called them to follow him. Now, by all intents and purposes, 
They were works in progress. Early on, see, they were, they, they were known to be full of emotion and quick to react and not in a good way. Early on, they seemed to see Jesus only as a rising political and a power figure. So much so that with their mother, they came to lobby Jesus for position and power. This is what it says in the book of Matthew. The mother of the Zebedee brothers, that's James and John, they, they came with her two sons and knelt before Jesus with a request. What do you want, Jesus asked. She said, give your word that these two sons of mine will be awarded the highest places of honor in your kingdom. One at your right hand, one at your left hand. Jesus responded, you have no idea what you're asking. And he said to James and John, are you capable of drinking the cup I'm about to drink? And they said, sure, why not? Which tells us that they had absolutely no clue the cup that Jesus was about to drink. The cup of suffering, the cup that led to a cross. Another time, Jesus and the rest of the disciples were traveling to Jerusalem, and they had to come to a Samaritan village. And we read in, in Luke, it says, they went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him. No big deal, right? Jesus wanted to find a place to spend the night but they didn't want Jesus there. They didn't want the crowds. They don't want the controversy. They don't want the hassle that seemed to follow Jesus. So they told the disciples and Jesus, go find somewhere else to stay. How did James and John respond to this? When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Not your typical response. Jesus, of course, says, absolutely not. Don't do that. But you see, this kind of activity by James and John happened so often that John gave them the name Sons of Thunder. See, I think some people would think that's a compliment. Being a son of thunder it sounds powerful but it was not a compliment but John eventually became known as a disciple that Jesus loved because of that close relationship that close friendship that the two of them had in fact John along with Peter and James were the only ones allowed to share some of those most intimate moments some of the most personal moments that Jesus experienced, such as the transfiguration, where Jesus revealed his full glory as God the Son. Or maybe at the house of Jairus, when Jesus raised his daughter from the dead. See, John was even the disciple that Jesus was leaning his head on at the Last Supper. It was John who was with Mary, Jesus' mother, at the foot of the cross the only disciple to witness the crucifixion. 
And it was John that Jesus asked to watch over Mary, to care for her after his death. And beyond the Gospel of John, he wrote three different letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, but he also wrote the book of Revelation. So not only did John write one of the Gospels, one of the final eyewitness accounts to Jesus' life, he also wrote the last and final book of the New Testament. See, John lived longer than the other disciples. He was the last living disciple. Towards the end of his days, he was exiled on the island of Patmos because of his Christian beliefs. And by the time he died, he would not be known as a son of thunder anymore, but as a great apostle of love. See, we're going to look at we're going to look at what is good and what the main purpose of John's gospel is. And and to do that, let's first look at that word gospel. Gospel simply means good news. See, at the heart of that good news is that through Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection, we can experience forgiveness and enter into a relationship with him. I read once of a therapist who would play a game with people in his groups, and it was called Top Secret. Here's Here's how the game worked. He would ask them to write down the one thing about themselves that they were least inclined to share, and then to return that piece of paper unsigned. In other words, write down that one thing that nobody else knows, that you wouldn't dare tell anyone else. And over the years, he noticed how one answer consistently emerged as the most frequently listed top secret. And it was this. I feel utterly worthless. No one would want me if they truly knew me. Would that be your top secret? Is that how you think God thinks about you? That he couldn't possibly want anything to do with you, and you think that with my sin, with my failures, with my history, with all the junk in my life, he would, he would have to reject me. Why would he want me with all of that? So what do you do if that's your top secret? See, some people, there are different responses. Some people think that if God wants nothing to do with them, well, then they want nothing to do with God. So they protect themselves by distancing themselves. They stay away from church. They stay away from other Christ followers. They often will find other things to fill in, whether it's drug or alcohol or pornography, but they want nothing to do with God. Then there are others who will, who will just smother themselves with guilt. They beat themselves up tear themselves down, feeling unworthy to even try and approach God. Then there are others who some will boast of their spiritual independence. They play the skeptic. They play the doubter, and they actively try to downplay God. Now, out of all of these, 
fear that God wouldn't, that God couldn't love them. But here's what God wants us to know. Whether you're in one of those groups or whatever other group you find yourself in, this is what God wants you to know. That not only does he love you, but you can be forgiven. You see, that's the gospel. See, the gospels themselves can be pretty fun to read. There's memorable encounters with with fun people like the corrupt financier Zacchaeus, a doubting, seeking religious leader named Nicodemus, a rich young ruler, a colorful assortment of prostitutes, adulterers, thieves, and murderers, a regular whodunit. But throughout Jesus' three-year period of public ministry, Jesus also performs many miracles changing water into wine, walking on water, calming the storms, healing the sick, the blind, the lame, feeding the multitudes with just a wee little bit of food, and yes, even raising the dead. His fame continued to grow, so much so that he enters Jerusalem on a donkey to shout, Hosanna. But soon, those shouts change to crucify him because he threatened the social and the political establishment. And after a last supper with his disciples, a night in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's arrested by the Jewish authorities. He's beaten, turned over to the Roman authorities, tried, and then crucified. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead presenting himself to his followers over a 40-day time period on numerous occasions. And then Jesus ascended into heaven. So why focus on John's gospel and not the other three? What's different about John's gospel? A lot, actually. So much so that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels, meaning from a similar viewpoints. They're similar in terms of content, tell many of the same stories, often in the same order, and often with similar wording or vocabulary. But John's gospel is different. Different stories, different language, different perspectives. If you remember, I said that he was the oldest and last surviving disciple, meaning He was familiar with the other accounts. He knew what Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote, and he said, well, they've already written it. I imagine he thinks, let me write something different. To supplement what they had written. In fact, 90% of what John tells us about the life and teaching of Jesus in his gospel is found nowhere else in the entire Bible. So when John we really do have the last account of the life of Jesus. The life that only John tells us. We we have the untold story. And that's what we're going to focus on in this sermon series. The stories that are only found in John's gospel, but are not found in the others. Now John is very intentional 
about what he includes and what he doesn't. So in his gospel, there's no genealogy. There's no account of Jesus' birth. There's nothing about his boyhood, nothing about the temptation, the transfiguration, no appointing of disciples, no exorcisms, no tax collectors, no Sadducees, no Sermon on the Mount, no parables, not even one, and no account of the accession. But only in John's gospel is Jesus called the Word, the Creator, the only begotten of the Father, the Lamb of God, the Great I Am. In fact, John is known for recording seven great I Am statements of Jesus that point to his true God nature. And then only John records Jesus saying at the end, it is finished. So John's purpose in writing is clear, and it's clear because he actually tells us about it. At the end of his gospel, he writes these words. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John wrote for one reason, that people would believe in Jesus. That he was the one who he said he was. That Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. In fact, the word believe is used 98 times in the book of John. And that by believing, they would experience spiritual life. See, that's the point of John's gospel. That you would believe and that you would have life. And this is important. For John, the question wasn't, who is Jesus? For John, it's much more pivotal than that. It's, it's who is the Messiah? Who is Christ? It can be spiritually confusing out in the world today. But so who is the one that has been sent to show us the way, to provide the way to God? Who is that person? And for John, the answer is simple. It's Jesus. Which is why this journey through the Gospel of John will hopefully settle some things for some of you. If you're indifferent or if you're neutral, if, maybe if, even if you have a so what mentality, John will get into your face it, it, with Jesus in ways that will force you to make a decision. Either God, Jesus was God himself in human form, or he was a pathological liar and a lunatic. If you like Jesus in theory as a radical, as a revolutionary, because he was, but blow off what he had to say about how to live. John will go deep with some challenges to your life. If you are a believer, but you're passive about it, if it doesn't rock your world, if you can look back on the last week and see really no difference in your life than anyone else's based upon the fact that you still say you're a believer, well, then John is going to drop Jesus 
like a bomb into the middle of your life and let him explode and let the shrapnel go where it may. But if you are a committed believer, then get ready for a Jesus that you never knew. A Jesus raw and unfiltered. The Gospel of John is not a safe book. It's not a safe story, and it's not a safe account, and that's because Jesus isn't safe. You don't feel safe in this world today. That's okay. Jesus isn't safe. But he can do all the many things that we need to have that safety. Heavenly Father, thank you that John recorded what he did and, and didn't just write the same things as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Thank you that he was willing to, to write stories that would help to encourage us, help us to see the importance in those stories, help it to help us to believe and then to change our lives accordingly. And Jesus says, we're about to sing. There's nowhere I'd rather be because we just want to be here with you. Jesus.